BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're listening to Revolver Podcasts. A San Antonio district judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. State District Judge Angus McGinty is at the center of an investigation today involving the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin, and it cost him his freedom, his livelihood, his bench, and law license. Since pleading guilty, he's refused to talk about the details of his criminal case. Until now. I did it because I was foolish. And that one little mistake that I made that I never really intended to make but I did cost me everything everything but this is not just the story of a single judge taking a one-time bribe you see during the FBI's corruption investigation back in 2014 agents recorded attorney Al Acevedo on his cell phone boasting he was bribing several state judges only McGinty was charged and prosecuted That's because the FBI's undercover operation was compromised when word of the investigation was leaked to the very judges who it was targeting. The names of other judges and bribes they allegedly took have been kept sealed in secret FBI and court files, with many of those judges still on the bench. But I've obtained those secret files, and the truth of the courthouse corruption scandal and exactly who was involved will finally be revealed. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. What was prison like? That's the question I get asked the most by people who know me. I've known Angus McGinty for almost 20 years, long before he went to prison for accepting a bribe. He was a criminal defense attorney, and I was an investigative reporter at a San Antonio TV station. I'd just broken the story of a local judge who was giving the majority of her taxpayer-funded court appointment cases to just a single lawyer, who happened to be her boyfriend. That's when I met McGinty, who was working to help unseat that judge in an upcoming election. Over the years, he called me many times with scoops on dirt at the Bear County Courthouse. But in 2014, it was McGinty who was making headlines as the target of corruption allegations involving bribes by a local attorney who was spilling courthouse secrets to the FBI. Word from sources was that multiple judges were being implicated in the investigation. McGinty eventually pled guilty and served 18 months in federal prison. From state district judge to convicted felon. And that's what makes his story so fascinating. When you wear a judicial robe, uh, the robe itself is very, very heavy physically, but metaphorically it weighs a ton. I remember almost every time I zipped that robe up and I could feel the weight on my shoulders, literally, 
as I walked into the courtroom, it was an appropriate metaphor for what I was going to do that day. So I would say that being a judge um, was heavy. Start at the beginning. What happened? How did this all begin to unravel? And just, I want you to tell the story. So I, um, I became a judge in, um, I won the election in 2010 in November, and I took office on January 1st, 2011. And as most defense attorneys uh, would, would know, uh, I knew lots and lots of other lawyers. And when I became a judge, what I should have done is to cut the ties that I had with all those other lawyers. But I didn't. Instead, I, I tried to be accessible to all of them. And by making myself accessible and wanting to make sure I was available to all the lawyers all the time, I ended up not having that barrier between a lawyer and a judge that should be there. And in my case, I had someone I'd known for uh, over 20 years. I'd known uh, Al Acevedo for over 20 years, and I failed to cut my friendship with him so that I could then, there would be no suggestion of impropriety. And so since I didn't cut those ties, I had uh, an instance where I had interactions with him where it was concluded that I had behaved inappropriately, illegally is what the government said. So I failed to do that. And it's just one of the biggest failures in my life. Full stop. This is Texas Week with Rick Casey. San Antonio attorney Al Acevedo pleaded guilty this week in federal court to bribing a state district judge. That judge, Angus McGinty, resigned from his bench last month, but he has not been indicted. There are rumors and reports that the federal investigation is ranging wide and there may be others caught up in the scandal. Joining me to discuss the bribery case and the broader investigation is attorney Mike McCrum, who was a federal prosecutor for more than 10 years. He was head of the White Collar Crime Division here in San Antonio. He has since specialized in white collar defense. He was involved in the last major bribery scandal a dozen years ago in San Antonio, representing one of, uh, one of the uh, persons accused. Two attorneys and two city councilmen then were convicted of bribery in awarding a city contract to a law firm headed by the late Oliver Hurd. The recent federal investigation appears to have some interesting parallels to that one. In Express News Federal Courthouse reporter Guillermo Contreras, who has covered this case like a blanket, is with us as well. His work has appeared in the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, New York Post, and Newsday. Guillermo, let's start with you. Welcome to you both. Thanks uh, for having me. Let's just go over briefly what has happened so far. Well, uh, what has happened so far is we've... Uh, uh, there were rumors swirling over at the courthouse that there was an investigation. Al Acevedo was shedding his cases, state and federal. Big Al. Yeah, big, big Al, as he's known. And uh, so uh, I decided to uh, one day uh, shadow and, and see what he was doing. And I did hear him telling people that he, he was in trouble. Mm. So I approached him and, uh, and I asked him why, you know, I hear that there's a, a bribery investigation and that you're being investigated for bribery. And so he essentially confirmed it and and I asked him straight out, did you bribe anybody? And uh, his response was, uh, it's under investigation. So from there, I kind of be begin 
uh, calling sources and finding out what's what's going on behind it. And uh, so what's happened since then is he's, uh, Angus McGinty, of course, uh, uh, resigned, and then now we have Alasavilla actually pleading guilty. And I hear that that's, there's possibility that uh, either uh, charges or uh, some kind of a deal may, may arise from McGinty's side. Well, it, you, you, we don't know yet what they're going to charge McGinty with. What exactly did they charge Acevedo with? Well, it's a federal charge called theft or bribery of a program that uh, receives federal funds. And that means basically the courthouse uh, receives funds for uh, some of its uh, daily business. And okay. uh, so he bribed a judge. You were charged with and eventually pled guilty to honest services fraud, which is essentially bribery. Correct. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish, because I had a friend I'd known for 20-something years, and I was just trying to help him out with a case, and he was trying to help me out with uh, a, an old broken car that I had. It was, an, it was a 10- or 12-year-old car that was broken, and so two friends tried to help each other, and that one little mistake that I made that I never really intended to make, but I did, cost me everything. Everything. When the FBI showed up at your house, what did they say to you and what was your reaction? After the initial uh, introductions were done, they said, uh, we believe that Al Acevedo gave you um, car repairs for favorable court rulings. And as it turned out, it was one, one ruling. What did you do case. in that ruling? So that ruling involved someone who was accused of uh, a DWI third, his third offense. And Al Acevedo had come, had represented this person from the beginning. And each time he was set for court, Acevedo and the prosecutor would want to talk to me about how well well, Acevedo would want to talk to me, and the prosecutor would just be present. Acevedo would tell me how well the defendant had been doing on pretrial monitoring. He had joined AA, and he had an ignition interlock, and he was making great strides to overcome his addiction. And so typically a felony case can be set four to six times, sometimes more, and so frequently defense attorneys want their clients to improve their situation before they come for sentencing. And so Acevedo had done all this work on the case each time it was set. And I guess it gets set about once every other month, something like that. And so finally Acevedo uh, agreed to, uh, his client agreed to plead guilty and they set the case for sentencing on the day of sentencing. Acevedo, as it turns out, wasn't there. It was some other lawyer. And the defendant's name was a common name. And it's really not important what his name is, just to say it was a common name uh, here in San Antonio. And I didn't put two and two together. That substitute attorney did not state all the things that the client had done to improve himself. He didn't mention any of those things. I don't even think he mentioned that Acevedo was his attorney. And so this person that I couldn't distinguish between uh, him and anybody else with that name, I did what I thought was right, given the facts that I, were, that I was given. 
And that is I sentenced him to prison, to three years in prison. The next day, I, my clerk showed me a motion for uh, shock probation is what it's, uh, we call it in the, in the vernacular. There's actually a legal name for it, but it's essentially Texas has a law that if someone is sent to prison, a court can retain jurisdiction and consider giving them probation. The idea of the legislature was to shock someone into having a more productive probation than if they would have just gotten straight probation. And so I asked my clerk who filed it, and he said, Acevedo, Al Acevedo. And I asked on what case, and he told me, and I didn't remember. I had Acevedo come in, and he was very professional, and he said, well, this is the person that I had come talking to you about. And I looked over the um, my notes that I had taken when Acevedo had visited with me about the person, and I realized I'd made a terrible mistake. This That's not what I wanted to do on his case. I wanted to give that person probation because he had improved himself so much. I at least wanted him to give him a chance. And so I was mortified that I had sent a man to prison that I didn't want to go to prison. So what I did is, I, truthfully, what I did is I called my mentor at that time. I called Sid Harrell. Uh, and I told him that I, I think I made a mistake. And has he ever made a mistake? And he wanted to do something, and he thought it was another case. And Sid, uh, he said, that's understandable. Um, he said, uh, and I said, well, what should I do? Should I wait? I specifically remember Judge Harl telling me, why would you wait to do the right thing? And so I um, notified the jail to bring him back over. I had a hearing where I called in Acevedo. I called the substitute lawyer in. I called the prosecutor in. I put everything on the record about the mistake I had made. And I gave him probation, which is what I wanted to do in the first place. Outside of this, I had been talking to Acevedo about my old car having car problems. And that's when he hooked me up with a mechanic that I thought wouldn't charge me anything. And those two events were not in relation to one another, but they were close enough in time that it sure as hell looked like it. So it looks like I got my car fixed so that I would give Acevedo's client probation. Fact of the matter is, that's how it went down. And that's the case the government made against you and that you pled guilty to. Correct. That is the single case the government made against me. FBI agents come to your house. They sit in your living room and they tell you that they have you on wiretaps with Al Acevedo. What goes through your mind? Well, truthfully, it's not what went through my mind. It's what went through the, the bottom part of me that was puckering quite, quite extensively. Um, what was going through my mind, truthfully, when the few minutes had passed and I realized the gravity of everything he was saying, it brought a, a fear in me that I have never experienced and I have had an experience since then, even in prison. I didn't feel what I felt that night, that everything 
that I loved and cared for was going to be harmed because of me. Not just my career, my salary, my license, my standing in the community, my reputation, my savings, my retirement, my house, my car, all gone. What, what that devastated me, but what gave me the fear that I'm talking about is that my kids are going to have to go through what I know is coming. I know what's coming. And they were very young at the time. And the fact that they were going to have to go through this and listen to their friends say stuff to them at school and the questions they're going to have about this case, it broke my heart. Broke my heart. And I I don't know what to do. But there was little sympathy in San Antonio for what McGinty was going through. He faced a 15-count federal indictment on bribery, extortion, conspiracy, and wire fraud charges for allegedly soliciting and taking bribes. The government not only had attorney Al Acevedo, who would testify he bribed McGinty, but also the mechanic who did the repair work on McGinty's car, Michael Otten. But while McGinty was awaiting trial, Otten was killed during an argument over a debt. Two months later, that 15-count federal corruption indictment against the now former Texas District State Judge was slashed to just five counts. He now faced conspiracy and extortion counts and three counts of fraud. Coming up next, I confront McGinty with more of his involvement in the bribery scandal. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So the government claims the total value was a lot more than just this initial car repair, that Acevedo was frequently giving you gifts in exchange for special treatment in a variety of different cases. I, I understand what they've alleged, and the simple truth is, is that it was that one case. Did your attorneys make that argument? No, they didn't. Why not? Do you want to know what I knew then or what I know now? Both. What I knew then was that the government was going to allege a bunch of different things that weren't factually true. My attorney, specifically Jay Norton and Alan Brown, told me that the law was if there is an attorney trying to influence you and you don't do anything to affirmatively stop it, then you're guilty under federal law. The case they cited to me, I think, was called Grace versus the United States. And that's how they convinced me that what I had done would be considered to be against federal law 
and I was going to get six years, which is what the government threatened me with. So with that fear of being away from my kids for six years, I agreed to 24 months. But why would you agree to plead guilty to something you say you didn't do or you certainly didn't have a criminal intent to do? And you've, you've hit the nail on the head, Brian. Um, would I have been able to convince a jury that what I did was just stupid and coincidental? Those two events were coincidental to each other? Or would it most likely be that they can show there was such a proximity that it had to be quid pro quo. I didn't want to run that fear because if I gambled, then I would be facing six years for not owning up to my responsibility. You see, the federal criminal justice system gives people more punishment if you do not accept responsibility. If you accept responsibility, in quotations, then they won't seek additional charges. If you do not take responsibility by even insisting on a jury trial, which is your constitutional right to do, but if you insist on a jury trial and you're not taking responsibility, the government is free to allege more allegations against you. Whether you think they can prove them or not, it's that fear that drove me to not want to gamble. So, yeah. I and, and you had said, why would I plead to something I wasn't guilty of? I think I was guilty of the conduct. Maybe that doesn't mean I was guilty under federal law, which requires that there be a promise for a promise. And Acevedo and I didn't have that. But that still doesn't take away from the fact that what I did was make very important decisions with a lawyer that I was also having personal uh, dealings with. And that's that unethical line that becomes so thick, it's very reasonable for someone to say it's illegal, at least a juror. And so that was my, that was my fear and my mindset chapter in that Bear County Courthouse corruption scandal played out in federal court this afternoon. Attorney Al Acevedo, who bribed a judge, and the judge he bribed, Angus McGinty, sentenced to federal prison. Paul Venema there as those sentences were handed out. Attorney Al Acevedo pled guilty in March to bribery charges. He offered automotive repairs to District Judge Angus McGinty in exchange for favorable judicial consideration for two of his clients. Today, he was sentenced to one year and one day in federal prison, three years probation, and no fine. He refused to discuss the case as he left. Judge McGinty, who pled guilty to accepting Acevedo's offers, did comment briefly as he left. I won't talk about the facts or the case because my lawyers don't want me to. Is that right? But what I will say is uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, supported me. Federal Judge Xavier Rodriguez sentenced McGinty to two years in federal prison, one year probation, and no fine. You pled guilty, but yet there sounds like there's a part of you that wants people to believe that it was just a stupid mistake. Yeah, it sounds like I'm backpedaling, doesn't it? 
Well, I think it it sounds like people listening to it might say, bullshit. You did it. You took a bribe. You got caught. And now you're just trying to get the stink off of you. <laughs> That's a very good way of putting it. Um, and to some degree, you're right. I mean, why would someone admit they did something if they didn't do it? And that's where I think we need to draw a distinction between legal guilt and factual guilt. So, and it is a form of backpedaling that that the the lay world, the people who aren't lawyers, would probably not understand. And without seeming like I'm um, not, haven't been completely humbled by all of this. Let me just say, first of all, what I did was so wrong to have someone that I knew for 20 something years practicing in my court. And I failed to to remove myself from his cases. I shouldn't be deciding a friend's case. That was wrong. Now, I, I say that in, in bringing up a distinction between legal guilt and factual guilt. So, legally speaking, Acevedo hooked me up with car repairs, and I gave his guy probation. Those are the legal facts. Factually, what happened is that those two things did happen, but they weren't because of one another. I didn't give his client probation because he hooked me up with a car repair. But yet anyone on the jury, the government did this, they said no, those two events were close enough that we're going to make the assumption that there was a promise for a promise. And they had Al Acevedo who was going to take the stand and say that. Correct. They had Al Acevedo. Um, but you know what? Let me, let me be honest. I was deciding his cases in part because I had known him for 20-something years. That's wrong in and of itself. So was I factually guilty of uh, what they accused me of? Yes. I don't believe I was legally guilty. But in my mind, those two things are, you shouldn't make a distinction between them. I shouldn't. I'm only explaining that to you to, to kind of explain why I pled guilty to something. But... In hindsight, what I did was just wrong, Brian. It was wrong. It was wrong to decide a case, a friend's case. I should have removed his cases from my courtroom, and I didn't. And that decision basically ruined your life. Well, I would say that it, it, it ruined it, but it also changed it. Maybe for the better. That's still being played out. What was playing out felt to me like I was in a bad courtroom drama you might see on TV. 
At this point in our conversation, McGinty was talking to me and you as though we were jurors who would decide his fate, this time in the court of public opinion. But his legal argument, I did it, but I didn't really mean to do it, was certainly not convincing, and eventually even McGinty knew it. And that's when he broke down and said this. Let's talk. I still didn't like that answer. You want me to tee it up again? I don't know. What do you think? What part of it I'm don't sti- you like? That you're right. It's bullshit. I can't say factual versus legal. Fuck you. You're just making a lawyer distinction. Fuck it. You, you, knew, you knew the dude, and you should have just said, I'm a close friend of yours, and you're trying to hook me up with some car repairs. I'm going to put your cases in somebody else's courtroom. But I didn't do that. And in hindsight, should I have? Yes, I should have. But I didn't because I thought in my arrogance, I thought that I could make a decision on a friend's case and have a hearing listing out the reasons why I'm making this decision. But how could it not be, the government argued to me in one of our meetings, how could it not be that you weren't doing it because he was a good friend? And you know what? They're right. It did play a part. So I was... <laughs> Can I be guilty of a misdemeanor <laughs> instead of a felony? Because half of me, half the time, I think that that's, that's what I should have um, wished they would have let me plead to. Is but you were a judge. I was misdemeanor stupid but instead of felony stupid. But you were a judge, and you were exactly. sworn to uphold the law, exactly. and you accepted a bribe. That's the ultimate betrayal of a judge. It sure is. It sure is. It's the ultimate betrayal. And I, I have a desire to remove that stink um, from me. And I guess the facts kind of bear it out that I behave stupidly, maybe not criminally. But you know what? That's just a cop-out. It's unethical. It's stupid. And if I were a... Citizen looking in, I would have thought the judge was on the, got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. And this legal distinction that I'm trying to make now, it's, it's just water under the bridge. How do you own it? By explaining my story to people. By explaining that you can be convicted for breaking the law without intending to break the law. Because although intent is important, sometimes your intent can be assumed or presumed. And so let's put this fact scenario out on the table. You have a judge who has a friend of 20-something years who is hooking him up with some inexpensive or free car repairs. And within a matter of days, he sends a guy from prison to probation. That's an easy one. He was on the take. And so I kind of want to embrace that because I can make a stronger message that way than I can with, okay, but let me give you the real legal uh, distinction. That's just a, a crock of shit because the legal distinction only matters to lawyers. It doesn't really matter to the layperson, you know, the people that elected me. 
and the people that know that you stood before a federal judge and said, yes, I did that. I would like to tell them that I'm sorry. Truly am. I set out when I was sworn in. Um, I set out to be one of the best judges I could. And one of the years, the lawyers even voted me one of the top judges in uh, in the county. I think I was the top three or four. And despite my efforts, that one mistake that I made sent my career crumbling down. But you're a really smart guy. You're an attorney. You were a judge. You're hyper-intelligent. How could you not see that you were breaking the law? You mean, how could I be so stupid if I'm smart? Yeah. That's a real good question, Brian. Certainly wasn't for the money. I didn't get anything. Just doing a friend a favor. And, and what I failed to realize is that when you're an elected judge, you don't have friends who practice in front of you. You can have a friend who's your neighbor. He's a pharmacist. You can have a friend who's a mechanic who lives down the street. Your family can be there for you. But when you are an elected judge, especially a criminal district court judge, the lawyers that come in front of you aren't your friends. And that's my failure. I mistook those lawyers, specifically Acevedo, as my friend slash lawyer. And I should have treated him only as a lawyer. And that was diligence that I, I failed to be, uh, no, the word is not that, the word is vigilant. I failed to be vigilant. Because when you're a judge, you have to be vigilant all the time. You're at lunch, and before you know it, you get up to pay, and the waitress tells you, somebody already paid your check. And you go, who was it? Oh, I don't know. He looked like a lawyer, but he already walked out. Well, then, That happened to you? Yeah. What do I do? I've even had an instance where an attorney paid for my lunch and waved to me as he was leaving and got in his car and drove off. Am I, I, I wondered out loud, should I chase him down? Do I not worry about those small things? What about the lawyers that bring tacos to the, to the courthouse and they give them to their favorite court staff? Is that a bribe? Well, but the court staff doesn't make rulings. The judges do. Judges eat the tacos. So I'll never forget the U.S. attorney in my case, one of them. One of them was about 6'3", and one of them was 5 foot. It was kind of interesting, the, the difference in their heights. The tall one got up in court and said that if a judge so much, so much as, as takes a peppercorn to give a favorable ruling, he's guilty. And I remember the judge in my case said, a what? And he actually argued with the, with the U.S. attorney and said, I, I don't think that's the law. I don't think if they take a peppercorn. So I think what he was trying to distinguish is small favors like tacos doesn't matter. 
Car repairs? Well, now you're talking something different. When we come back, McGinty describes just how easy it is for lawyers to corruptly influence a judge. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You were on the inside of that courthouse and saw the way it operated, experienced the way decisions were made. For over 20 years. The judge in your case actually said in the sentencing that from what he saw, it was like, and these were his words, pigs eating in a trough. Yeah, I remember him saying that. The culture at the Bear County Courthouse is probably very similar to the culture at most every courthouse in Texas, if not the nation. Defense lawyers become friendly with each other. They become friendly with the prosecutors. The prosecutors or defense attorneys, either one, becomes a judge. The judges don't become judges without at least practicing on one side of the aisle. And so you have this close relationship that develops between people that practice criminal law. The same thing happens in civil law. So you have civil lawyers that that know each other and and have cases with each other, uh, divorces, civil cases, property damage cases, and the judges come from those um, those pool of lawyers, if you will. And judges in Texas have to ask for campaign contributions because most judges who start off as lawyers they don't have the funds to be able to pay for a campaign. It costs a lot to get commercials and billboards and signs. And so what Texas law allows is campaign contributions. And so on one day, a lawyer could hand a judge a check written out to judge so-and-so's reelection campaign for $5,000. And that's the day before a big client of his gets sentenced. But that's perfectly legal. He's giving a campaign contribution. He got a receipt. The law allows it. The judge disclosed it. So that's perfectly illegal. You mean perfectly legal? (laughs) Perfectly legal. Now, have you actually... Now, are you saying you're aware that that has happened? Absolutely. People give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to judicial candidates both those that are on the bench currently and those that want to be on the bench. And there's nothing illegal about it. And they're seeking favors. They're seeking for you to remember that they supported you. Not that they gave you a bribe. See, let's, let's, let's define that check that they gave you as two certain things. So when they give you that check, this is a legal campaign contribution. And then when... You appear in front of that judge, you can say off the record, you know, me and my whole family supported you. 
We're glad you're back. Did you say anything unethical? No. Did you hint that I gave you that contribution because I want you now to do the favor on this case that we're not going to talk about? No, didn't say that either. But it's all suggested. And so there is there is the problem we have with judges being elected in Texas by needing to get campaign contributions from the lawyers that appear in front of them. There's this suggestion all the time, a suggestion of favoritism. And it's overwhelming. No judge or judicial candidate can honestly state they don't know who supported them and who didn't. Oh, not only do you know who they are, at your fundraiser, you have a board where you list all the people that support you. (laughs) Tell me that again in the context of you. So the people that supported me were uh, 99% lawyers that practice in front of me. All perfectly legal. They gave me campaign contributions that I duly deposited in my campaign account. I paid for campaign contributions with them. I disclosed all my income from contributions and my expenditures, as I was supposed to do with the Texas Ethics Commission. And all of that is legal. But at the same time, I can tell you the lawyers that supported me. I can tell you the lawyers that didn't support me, that came in front of me, and I never mentioned it to them, and they never mentioned anything to me. But did it make a difference? Did I remember who they were? Yes. Did I remember that they gave money to my opponent? Because you see, all campaign contributions are public record. So I can discover who's giving money to my opponent. And then when he comes into my courtroom or into my chambers, uh, or at the time that I was running and I wasn't yet a judge, I can say, why did you give my opponent money? You didn't give me money. And sometimes they go, okay, and then they give you money. That happens all the time. Judges' opponents, are dis- whoever gave to the opponent is discovered, and the judge then hits up that lawyer. And so now the lawyer is trapped with, well, I got to give to both of them because whoever wins, I want to be in good graces. So when you're in your instance... So when you were a judge, did you ever in any way make a decision based on who did or did not give you a campaign contribution? Yes. Did I say it out loud or was I thinking it in the back of my mind? Well, this is a good guy. He made a good argument and he supported me after all. So, yeah, I'll cut his client a break. Yes, that happens. It happened. It happened to me. Um, but that's not bribery. Legal. Right. But it sure is. Makes you scratch your head. Yeah. There's a whole lot about that that's absolutely mind-boggling. So someone could give me $5,000 as a campaign contribution, and that's perfectly legal. But if they uh, buy me a birthday cake and say... Hope you enjoy that cake. Hey, remember my client next week when he comes up in front of you. That's a federal crime. So birthday cake is a federal crime, but 5000 is not because it, it goes towards what was said. You've never seen the documents from your court file before other than in the presence of an attorney representing you. Correct. What I've shown you, does it include documents that you've never seen before? Yeah, Brian, it does. And the documents show that other judges were taking bribes. Yeah. That's what it shows. They were. 
envelopes of cash, non-traceable gift cards, in exchange for favorable rulings. Why were you the only judge to be charged in what was a sweeping corruption investigation? That does seem odd, doesn't it? Well, seeing those documents that you've showed me, I've, I kind of have a, a uh, hypothesis, if I can say that. I've learned from what you've shown me that some judges had dealings with my lawyers. And my hypothesis is my lawyers worked at a deal to save themselves and these other judges from being charged with a crime by making sure I pled guilty. I think that my attorneys worked at a deal to save themselves and these other judges from prosecution by making sure I pled guilty. So they throw you under the bus so they can skate. They sure as hell did. And that's what you believe is the reason why no one else was ever charged in what was a large sweeping corruption investigation of the Bear County Courthouse at the time. That's right. Judge Rodriguez said that based on the documents he's read, Bear County Courthouse corruption doesn't end with this case, something to which McGinty's lawyer took exception. There's no bribery. There's no dishonesty. There's a lack of understanding of what happens over there sometimes and the volume that the state handles versus the volume the feds handle. McGinty was ordered to self-report to a federal prison yet to be determined on November 2nd. Same thing, self-surrender for Acevedo. His date to surrender is September 11th. I've reached out to McGinty's former attorneys, Jay Norton and Alan Brown, and asked them to be on this podcast and talk about the case. So far, I have not gotten an answer, but during the course of our podcast, we will continue to reach them and ask for their side of the story. Now, coming up on our next episode, I confront Angus McGinty with details of his criminal case that have never been heard before incriminating evidence from the still secret government files that I've obtained. I'm investigative reporter Brian Collister, and this is How to Bribe a Judge, the podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.